Hi, my name is Ben Atkinson and welcome to the Functional Health Podcast. I interview some of the leading voices in nutrition and lifestyle medicine and I will share with you their stories, their expertise and their advice, shedding light on the industry from each of their perspectives to help improve your health from today. This week, I'm delighted to share with you my conversation with Daniel O'Shaughnessy. Daniel is a nutritional therapist and functional medicine practitioner with an expertise in LGBTQ plus health and well-being. I really enjoyed this conversation. It was hugely immersive and eye-opening, and I really hope you enjoy it too. So without further ado, Daniel, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It uh, is wonderful to have you on. I know. I think I remember interviewing you once for a for band podcast. So. Yeah, potentially. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's been a long time. I followed your work for, for ages, actually, and I always meant to reach out. So I'm really glad that we're connecting now, especially since you launched your new book, Naked Nutrition. Thank you. Yes, it's been it's actually the month anniversary today for releasing that. So first time author. It's a, quite a um, an interesting journey. So it's um, and it's a book that means a lot to me. So it's all about the lgbtq plus nutrition which i'm sure we're going to talk about so it's a lot of dice diet and lifestyle tips for our community and, and well not for everyone really but very targeted at our community because mm-hmm. there was no no resource out at the time so that's why from my years of nutrition and life experience i was managed to put that together so yeah and it's brilliant and it's very easy to assimilate and read as well which is perfect in my eyes perfect. for, for kind you. of like a public yeah you're very very welcome so to set the scene it might be good just to dive into and it's the typical question that everyone asks on the podcast but in this instance i think it's actually very very important to ask it so what has your journey been um to where you are today it's quite a um an unexpected journey let's put it that way so I wasn't one of these classical, I have such chronic health issues that I only then become a nutritionist because I find nutrition helped me. Uh, yes, I did have some like skin conditions and digestive conditions and I was quite, quite interested in nutrition, but my actual background was in drug addiction. And I used to work as a drug addiction counsellor and I used to see, I, I, I really enjoyed helping people with that but I saw the industry was very about numbers, funding. So it just, it wasn't actually about helping the client. I, I used to work with these clients and just see how the impact of nutrition could just help their day a little better. Mm. So that started fueling my, the main interest into, um, into uh, like the nutrition and lifestyle route. And then I studied at the Institute for Optimum Nutrition. That was 10 years ago, I graduated. And it just seems right. And that we were one of the first classes of functional medicine, which is looking at the you know whole system and the body holistically and looking at the root cause of ill health, which I'm sure you and you know your listeners are, are fully aware of. And it just like for me, I you know I've been working with clients for 10 years now, and you just there's no it just there's no template in order to help someone and really you have to try to consider the individual as much as you can in what you're doing and it's generally if you're a lot of clients have come to me with have been frustration have been frustrated with the not getting the answers they want from you know other health providers or even the conventional medical route um which the medical route is amazing um but there are some chronic health concerns that don't get addressed in, in that way, such as, you know, an example is IBS. Mm-hmm. Just, the label, it just means a collection of symptoms. So people come a bit frustrated and, you know, if you do a bit of background, listening, research, maybe some testing, you can really understand someone and help be able to help them in, in that way possible. So I um, had a, quite a varied career in nutrition so seeing clients is one thing I do. I've worked on retreats for a bit. I've done corporate work, talking to people um, and talking to, to companies. And re- most recently, I've started taking my years of experience and going, right, okay, now's the time to write a book. 
I felt initially pressured. I had to write a book. But I just waited mm. and waited and waited until it was. I didn't want to release a book that's already out there, and I wanted to release something that was from my heart as well. And say, you know, not everyone can afford a nutritionist. They're quite, you know, it can be quite expensive. The work we do, it's not, it's not cheap. But um, most people can be able to afford, you know, eight pounds on a book that might actually give them the information they would get in a session as well, or help them be able to say that they need to find a new, find a nutritionist, nutritional therapist to reach out. So that's pretty much my professional career that's led me to write the book. Yeah. It's, um, it's been pretty, it's been very, very, very rewarding, sometimes frustrating um, as anything in self-employment goes, but yeah, it's, um, I do enjoy what I do. It's my calling. And I, you know, I, I think if, as long as you find a way to you almost manipulate the industry to your liking in terms of how you want to work with people and how what you actually want to do, I think that's the kind of key fact I learned, you know. Yeah, well, I think that's fundamentally key, isn't it? Follow your passion. And if you commit your passion, your job, that is that is amazing that you've been able to do that. Yeah, it's tough. And I found myself going down the template of how I feel I should be doing. And it was a little bit against the grain. And now I'm doing what I enjoy enjoy doing. And it's, you know, sometimes I say no to clients. Sometimes I you know, don't take work on if it doesn't feel right. And I know that's quite hard to do, especially if you're starting out. But I'm pleased I've got to a stage right now I can say I, I, I want to do the work that I really enjoy, you know. So it's and this is the book is what I enjoy and then helping people both with their health and also their maybe um their whole constitution which includes their spirituality. So yeah, that 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 is fundamentally key, and this is it really is comprehensive. I really enjoyed reading it to be honest with you. Um and you touch upon areas which, like you said, haven't really been talked about before within a book like mm-hmm. this. Um, when you were writing it, did were you considering all the kind of common conditions and dysfunctions that you see in clinic and that informed the book or what was the process behind it? Well, there's two, let's just say there's, you know, there's different avenues of exploration I went down. Um, I did have, I do have some clients that are LGBTQ+. Um, and from that, I used to see them either coming in with a specific health issue related to, uh, like being part of that community. So that could be, for example, someone is transgender and they need help to support their transition process. That's just one example, or they perhaps were, um, their lifestyle practices impacted their ability uh, to in, enjoy life based on poor digestion, for example. So if, you know, if a gay man has poor digestion, it's going to impact their sex life, for example. So these are some of the areas, the two main clinical areas I saw. So it's either someone coming for a specific need or someone coming for a lifestyle related issue. But then I also saw myself from my first person, from a first person angle, looking at when I saw the gay scene, the LGBTQ plus scene, and then putting my functional medicine mind on it, thinking, why is this not being catered for? Why is no one talking about the side effects to hormone therapy? Why is no one talking about um, what, you know, people can do when they go out partying and how to help recover for the next week? I call it Black Tuesday, but, um, or what about, you know, the physical aspects of LGBTQ plus mental health? We all, all the books you read are all about, uh, you know, like shame, trauma, and talking about mental health, but nothing from what can you do to help support your mental health from a physical perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, what, how can you eat? If, how can you eat well if you are are living with HIV, for example? So these are some of the topics that I write about in the book, just to kind of give that. I always, I said in the book, I said I want to empower someone to step up and take take responsibility for their own health. Um, because also some of these topics, they may not be comfortable going to any practitioner, whether LGBTQ plus or not, and say, yes, I take substance use. I, I do substances at the weekend or, um, or I even I, I am living with HIV and I need support 
with that. Um, and sometimes people are mis misunderstood. Like I remember going to a doctor just for some random checkup. And uh, I, I remember going to a doc doctor just for a random checkup and um, I was on, I'm on a PrEP medication, which is a medication to help prevent HIV. And he automatically assumed that I have HIV. So nice. it's about the education. Sorry, my dog's sneezing. <laughs> Can we do it again? You, you barely picked it up, so I wouldn't worry. All right, okay. How is your dog, by the way? Is the, is the Dashend, right? Yeah, she's, she's here. She's, um, she's on my lap. She's a bit. <laughs> there we go. Much better. <laughs> this is my, my lockdown choice. <laughs> <laughs> sneezing. So. Yeah. For the listeners, they won't be able to see this because this will be audio, but I will link to a picture of, of Daniel's dash and absolutely adorable. Yeah. The thing is, no, no one cares about me now. All they do is care about the dog. And if they <laughs> post like, nutrition content on, the, on Instagram or TikTok, they're like, yeah, where's Wallace? And then <laughs> I think Wallace has got like, double the amount of followers I have on TikTok than I, than I do. I accidentally put a video up and it just was... Um, it just went viral and you know so i'm just have to go with the flow i guess this yeah, viral dog maybe that's the best way to gain followers for nutrition you you have a uh, a post about nutrition and then another post immediately afterwards about the dog and then you just yeah like... i think oh that's what i tried to do i tried to get the dog in many pictures of the book so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's smart that's smart going back to the book so um, as a, and I'm going to get this right, by the way, I always do my best to get the terminology right around this, but you're going to have to correct me if I get this wrong in any That's way, fine. shape or form, um, because I'm still learning. Um, and as I think we all are, but in terms of the correct term terminology around things. So as a heterosexual cisgendered man, I thought this was extremely important to, uh, to learn about that as a nutritionist, the kind of health difficulties, potentially issues within this community, which are potentially different from that of others. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't think this is book is just for this community. I think it's for anyone who wants to learn about how to support people from a range of backgrounds. Um, I thought it was eye opening in that regard. Yeah, I think it's good to have a knowledge. And even if you are from the community, not all chapters in that book will be relevant for you, but yes. I do say to read it all with intent to understand what other people in, the, in this community are going through. Mm -hmm. um, it, it it's it's quite important. But I think when I was when I wrote the book initially, started writing the book initially, the main criticisms were coming from the community itself because they were saying, "Why do we need this book? What's the what's the point of this book?" Because I think. If you're not familiar with functional medicine, all you do is think nutrition is gaining muscle and losing weight. Really? That's you know, what you don't... I did when I was about 16, 17. That is what my main goal was, right? <laughs> yeah. So that's just the thing. You know, all people think about nutrition is about eating what to eat. It's not thinking about opening nutrition up as a, how it can help with complex diseases and, and um, you know, even supporting overall health. So... Mm -hmm. And yeah, so that's why I think it's, you know, and, and also some of these tips, like you say, the information, like heterosexual people go out and party too, and there's no nutrition book out there to support, you know, partying in, in that way. And we've got to like, look at this as like, look, yeah, some people go out the weekend or even the, whenever they go out and party and people take substances. It's just, we've got, you know, there's no point beating around the bush and saying, you know, we well, let's not talk about it because it's illegal. But, it, you know, millions of people take drugs. You yes. know? And so, you know, what's better? Supporting your nutrition so you have less chance of come down, calling in sick at work, making yourself feel better, uh, eating better during the week, and maybe perhaps even a knock-on effect of thinking, I, I'm supporting my health, so therefore I don't really want to go out and take these drugs at the weekend. So... That's why I'm including all this information. It's also just that's no shame important, around it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that's such an important point as well because ideally, 
<laughs> like I think we could both say, ideally you wouldn't do the drugs, but if you are going to do them, these are the things that you can do to support your health. And you're, you, you're so right in terms of a mindset shift of when you're supporting your health, you don't want to do things which are necessarily taking away from it. And I think this is always the case when people start on a healthy lifestyle journey, they're less likely to choose the, the bad option. I say the bad option, the less healthy option, whether it be, um, I don't know, choosing a big plate of carbonara over i don't know some meat and vegetables whatever it may be something which is mm. going to be more nutritious um at dinner time for yeah. example absolutely that's exactly it and you know and i've also written this in a way of look you know go out and enjoy yourself every now and then yeah. it's not bad you know, it's not bad for your soul to let go and, and relax a bit i'm not condoning any behavior but I'm not also going to tell you off for doing it. And I think that's where I've got kind of my success because my clients can talk to me and be like, actually, this happened or I did this. And it's, it's just, you know, you go to a sexual health service and you tell someone about whatever. They don't, op- they don't blink, you know. But it's your own self, um, your own shame about just by, uh, um, by uh, explaining these things or lifestyle behaviours that you're probably not, don't want people to judge. So it's um, it's very interesting topic in the way to look at it. So. Yeah, it's like with any kind of like health condition or, or issue like that, you want to, the health professional involved to approach it judgment-free. Um, mm. I think that's hugely important and probably overlooked in a lot of circumstances as well. Yeah, and I think it's also important for practitioners to really understand and I think it's been really nice that I've had a lot of practitioners reach out to me and say, this book was really needed. I had a great education from reading this. And, it, you know, they might not see many LGBTQ plus clients in their clinic, but at least they're aware of it if someone walks in and says, you know, this is this is how it is. So, yeah. And it, it, that kind of education is really important. Like you mentioned, like um, as a gay man, digestive issues can affect sexual health. And if you're a nutritionist, which may be. I don't know, naive to that kind of thing, someone might come in with those kinds of issues and not want to open up necessarily and therefore you're not able to relate to them. And then, you know, but understanding where they're coming from through resources like the one that you've written, um, I think will be hugely important as practitioners to empower the patient to get better, but also your own knowledge as well so you can help more people. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's exactly how it is. So... I hope so anyway. I mean, the book's only a month old, so we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it was eye-opening for me, so I think I've bashed on about it enough. <laughs> Do you feel that there are major differences between this community and, like, the general community? Like, when you were writing the book, did this become, like, immensely apparent? Actually, let's, let's stick with one thing. You mentioned the party life, and this is always something which is interesting to me with regards to the LGBTQ plus community, because you, you mentioned there being like a, I mean, everyone parties, but you mentioned it, you, you mentioned it being like quite prominent within this community. What do you think drives this scene? It's a very, um, quite a big question, I think. Well, let's break it down. I'm trying to unpick it a bit. So, you know, the LGBTQ plus party scene is pretty huge and it's always we've had a history especially from the 80s of you know having quite intense parties now particularly gay men um not all gay men i'm talking about here it you know there, it, it, some gay men there is the scene known as the circuit scene or even the berlin kind of queer scene um and in these scene there it, there is there are drugs that generally only gay men would would use um it does happen with in the, in the heterosexual scene but they're more known as the things called club drugs these are drugs such as um uh, gbl um uh, crystal meth um well, cocaine is also used uh, mdma as well but these cocaine and mdma are used in the heterosexual scene but there are targeted drugs club drugs and these are also drugs that are also used for sex purposes so in the party scene people are using quite intense and and 
people can go out partying in whatever scene, go out Friday and come home Monday. You know, it's it's quite these drugs will keep you awake for a long time and you won't you'll be, you know, running on adrenaline, you're you're you won't be eating all weekend, you know. I've seen it, witnessed it, you know, seeing what happens in this scene. And I just thought, you know, why are we why is this not being talked about? All that's being talked about is safely using how to use drugs in a safer environment or, you know, what to do in, in, in an event of overdose or what if the addiction, addiction is um, coming to the surface. And, you know, on the note of addiction, not everyone is addicted to drugs. There are people that go out and use recreationally. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times you'll see at circuit parties, for example, people are quite affluent. There's a lot of money there and people are, you know, it's, and so in these environments, you know, it doesn't, there's no discrimination about people taking drugs or whatever it is. It's, it's just people there, maybe perhaps they're there to have a good time, perhaps they're on holiday, whatever it is, but there's no, and in the scene, there's this kind of like subculture of, we kind of know that we should be taking H 5 HTP once we're partying or we should be doing X, Y, Z. So, and, but these drugs aren't good for us. Let's put it that way. You know, if you put some of like, you know, crystal meth is probably one of the most dangerous drugs that we we, we, we have. It's highly addictive, mm -hmm. uh, psychologically addictive. And, you know, GBL, it's not the best for your body, you know, and there's probably not, not even to have to look at studies for that. But if you, you know, if you spilt it on your laptop, it can actually melt, melt the laptop. You know, people right. are drinking this so, yeah and you can actually get physically addicted to it so there are some real precautions that you have to take but the way i'm looking at it, it is like well right i'm not going to go out there and tell people not to take these drugs but what about if we just cushion it a bit as part of your harm reduction in order to just take them with more care in mind so if you're going to take these drugs you know what to eat pre, during, and after. You know what perhaps supplements you need to take or to consider helping support your neurotransmitters, your chemical messengers that help, you know, give you mood, help your mood, motivation, mm -hmm. give you drive. Um, just give you options. And also, when people have, you know, you, what goes up must come down. So if people are taking drugs, they then needs to the energy needs to come get back into your body somehow and it's like flushing a system flushing a toilet with all of your uh energy going out so you have such an intense uh, high that most people get a come down where they feel rubbish for three or four days after taking these drugs and probably the more of a bender you have and the less sleep you get the harder the come down will be mm -hmm. so the way i look at it is just what can I give you to help minimize this come down? And particularly, um, you know, it, it just, I just want people to perhaps think, right, I feel awful. What can I do? Or I'm going to do this to help my, myself prevent feeling bad the next week. So it's just some, some and I, I don't say to people that it needs to be a whole prescription of, hundred things to do even if they're just taking two or three tips out of my book to get them started uh, it might just help and as i said before the knock-on effect might be calling in sick less or yes um you know feeling that they can actually exercise the week after without feeling awful or sleeping better you know just having a bit of better quality of life yeah so, so from what you've described it seems like more of a cultural drive to this kind of party scene and it, i think I resonate with so much of what you're saying when if we are going to give people advice on like how to take drugs safely, we should also be giving them advice on how to recover to live a normal life when you're taking them. And this isn't necessarily promoting them because we can do all we can about awareness of the negative consequences of these drugs. But really, we want people to have as much as a normal life as possible if they are choosing to take these kinds of substances. Yeah. And the thing is, people are afraid to even talk about this stuff because they know it's what they're doing is illegal. Um, but the way I'm stripping it back is like, look, I, I'm not here to promote or 
tell you what's wrong. I'm just going to give you helpfully some antidotes to feeling a bit better during, afterwards, whatever it is, or just give you options that you might not even be able to ask someone, but you can read it in your in your own private private life and you know away from and just think, well, these are my options. Perhaps things are getting a bit out of hand. Perhaps I do need to have get some help or you know, I'm going to try this tip next time I go out to make myself feel less nausea or whatever it is you get. So it's um, the thing with our community. It's it's you know, it's not just party drugs. You know, there's a whole let's just say je ne sais quoi that goes with this gay party scene. You know, it's it's also about you know the mental health aspects of fitting in. It's you know what what perhaps people are taking anabolic steroids to look better at these parties you know and so there's a whole cocktail of elements that in, in this kind of hybrid that we've created which is the gay scene and yeah it can be great fun but also it can also it can also cause a lot of poor mental health for some right if that's an absolutely fascinating topic um and i'd love to come back to that but i'd like to rewind a little bit focus on the supporting element around nutrition. Mm -hmm. Is there nutritional deficiencies or areas which you think can be improved in general within this community over others? Well, there's first of all... And we're talking general the, here, by yeah. the way. So obviously. generally, like, it's about what the drugs do that you're taking. So they give you such a boost of energy, but therefore then what? you're then depleted with energy afterwards in terms of uh, neurotransmitters, so your chemical messengers. So perhaps it's looking at nutrition to be able to support that part of your recovery to make you not you not have these energy lows. Um, nutrition also and lifestyle can you know help with the side effects to taking these drugs. Perhaps you get really anxious when you're taking a stimulant. And it's about understanding that. And, and perhaps there are some things that you can do to help calm your body a bit after partying or even during partying. You know, some of these drugs can cause nausea, can cause, and so it's about, could you perhaps consider what to eat before the party, at, during and after? So, you know, and it could be something so simple that I put in the book about, you know, preparing a smoothie and having it in the fridge. Because when you get home from these parties, you just don't, you don't want to do it. You just want the least possible effort. And most people will either go for pizza or uh, a milkshake or something. But if you've got a smoothie in the fridge that you drink slowly because, you know, you're in that stressful state that your body doesn't want to digest so much. And so uh, it can just give your body a bit of a, you know, nourishment for, um and I, I see you know people go to parties they just have junk food around and yeah i mean i'm not someone to say never have that just in but just know what you know you've got to have a bit of balance here and there um so yeah there's 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 nutrition pre during and post there's um what's it kind of eat to be able to support what's kind of missing in your body afterwards and also the side effects so that's just to name a couple yeah, that makes perfect sense. And with regards to specific, because there's loads of different diets out there and different kind of dietary patterns, let's call them. Um, is there anyone which you have a particularly, or let's repeat that. Is there any dietary pattern that you have a particular preference for over others? Um, well, I don't, well, the only pattern I think I have preference for is what works for that person. So yeah, you can I'm, ask this, the typical know, nutritional therapist. <laughs> answer. I know, I know, and I know it's annoying. <laughs> no, I'm but I see people preaching about calories and macros. You know, yeah, it might work for you, but what is what when you really dig deep? What are you trying to do with your diet? Mm -hmm. Is it a form of control? And I'm now teaching people to try and come away from control and not to be so. Um, orthorexic around their, their dieting dis decisions because that food is there meant to be enjoyed, not controlled so much. And if you have a healthy relationship with food, then you're going to navigate towards healthier foods. And this also means about how you feel about yourself. And a lot of people with trauma, with self-loathe, 
and they're not on the road to self-love. Just, it doesn't matter what I put on Instagram this morning. No diet will work if you don't love yourself. And that's a key thing. Like, because if you really love yourself, you'll na- start to navigate towards healthy food anyway. And once you've got the education around what's healthy, you'll naturally choose that because you know you're nourishing. Loving, like, and this is the reason why I've written the book is to start to give people the building blocks to start loving themselves a bit more. That's my main message for the book. And so it could be that you really love the ketogenic diet. It could be that you love counting calories, fine. But if that's what you love doing, rather than you feel you have to do. Mm-hmm. And that's what I always feel with diet. It's like, yeah, you know, we all know the many studies around the Mediterranean diet, great. But you know, when you look at the Mediterranean diet in action, like if you've been to Spain and if you've been to, you know, yeah, it's it, it's fried food basically. But <laughs> the principles of the Mediterranean diet are amazing. Um, and you know, if it's just unprocessed, and you know, but you know, if you want a bit of cake, have a bit of cake. You know. Yeah, and don't beat yourself it's, up it's, about it afterwards. Exactly, and that's the thing. The more you start to, most clients I have who have find it difficult to lose weight are binge eating, and whether right. they tell me or not, I. I identify it. So, and binge eating is why you binge eating. Is it because food will naturally cause a could cause impulses in your brain, which either makes you feel something or numbs a feeling. Mm-hmm. And then you've got all the hunger hormones and all of that. But some food is just more than calories. But if you're eating, it's easy to eat ten Kit Kats than you know three bits of salmon and some brown rice. But this quick energy is just, it, it's also giving you a sensation, which perhaps you're trying to, you know, there's some sort of mental health pattern in that. So, you know, this is why I say what works for you. And I don't think, you know, Rome's not built in a day. You're not going to go on this suddenly stop binge eating overnight. But perhaps, you know, you can start to say, well, you know, as part of my self-love regime, I'm going to make make myself a healthy breakfast every day. And it sounds, you might think I'm completely crazy by saying this, but it works. Like, you know, you start by, you know, I start a self-love practice and that's what I'm all about at the moment. You've mentioned a couple of things there that I just want to unpick. Um, so the first one being like you mentioned orthorexia and like I look mm. back at um when I was younger eating the typical what I'd consider a bodybuilding type diet right so mm. a gram of protein per pound of body weight controlling my carbohydrates and fats to the absolute t you know weighing everything mm. out and um I was constantly thinking of the next meal what am I going to have um, is it going to have the the right macros in it, et cetera. But every time I'd eat, I'd be thinking about the next one and looking back on it, it was so unhealthy. It didn't affect my life and I don't think it took over what I was doing because I was able to let go on the weekends and just put it aside. Mm. Um, but I can understand why things like that get a hold of people um, and how that affects mental health, I think is a is a key thing as well because if I couldn't, hit those macros i was constantly thinking i'm gonna have to make up for that the next day exactly there i've been exactly in the same position i've been you know just kind of an hour away from my breakfast and it was like oh god i ate breakfast late and so 11 o'clock my next meal is gonna be and i'm like i don't want to eat anything i'm so full yeah. i'm thinking oh god if i don't hit my protein i'm not going to gain that kilo of muscle that i you know i'm trying to get and it just creates this like become you become a bit neurotic around your diet and it's not meant to do that and you can actually like yeah and all these diet supplements and whey protein and all of that fine yeah there are evidence there is evidence that some of these supplements work really well and yes whey protein and protein powders are a good and they're not like a a, they're good if they're a good way to get that protein in your diet if you can't find it in other sources but you know do you really care about you know if you miss a protein shake if you, you know, miss, uh, you know, you're 20 grams away from your protein target, your body yes. doesn't really <laughs> care so much about that, more of your mind does. Mm. And then why do you care so much? Like, what if you just go to the gym and really enjoy your workout rather than, and the funniest thing I used to be, like, if I had done, if I had done 
I had a plan for five days workout and perhaps I missed out shoulders on that week. I was going into like despair thinking, how am I going to get to the gym? Because I'm busy this weekend. And it just, you know, I just, only until I started questioning my thoughts around control, did I suddenly start feeling a bit more liberated around this and thinking, what's really important in life? Okay, so I did, I missed the gym once last week. Who cares? You know, I'll go and work out next week. Or, you know, and I started having a bit, you get a better relationship but it's it's very complicated because the gym and your macros is very tied into your appearance and therefore tied into your mental state. And particularly if you have um, trauma, childhood trauma, especially about being overweight or skinny or you know finding it hard to get what you, the body you want or feeling that you need the body to be able to fit in in society or not be attacked or whatever it is. Yeah, these are. Yeah, you know, I just think you should just question why, what your actual reasons for doing what you're doing are. And yeah, there's no wrong. Um, if you love counting calories and counting macros and hitting your, you know, gym goals, fine. But if you've got to just, as long as you've got a healthy relationship with it. And more often I see the unhealthy side. I mean, on the topic of mental health and relating to orthorexia and things like that, do you see that being a kind of how can i say this is it more ubiquitous within the lgbtq plus community from your experience because of maybe like you mentioned past trauma and things that they might experience when they were younger discrimination things of that nature i think it's everywhere but there are it is definitely highlighted in the lgbtq plus community whether you know even you're transgender and you're trying to look either more masculine or feminine uh, and you're trying to get into a, a situation where you're comfortable with how you look or you're a, a, maybe a gay man with um, who has trauma of not fitting in or overcompensating with your body for some other reason you know it's it's but this does happen in fact the people I tell most to calm the gym down are girls women Right, And I find that my female clients, the amount of times that they're doing high intensity workouts five times a week, exhausted and can't lose weight. And they can't work out why. And as soon as I say to them, calm down the exercise. And I have a bit of a, you know, half an hour fight with them saying, you know, please just try it. Please just try it. Please just try it. They go into more of a resistance, slower pattern of training. They lose weight instantly. And they're burning themselves out. And so it's not just in the LGBTQ plus community, but it's, it's, um, it's everywhere. We all want to, we always, we, everyone doesn't quite feel good enough. We always walk around with kind of imposter syndrome, um, but it is highlighted in certain communities. Right. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. And it's really interesting interesting to hear what you say about people over exercising because we're constantly telling people to move more you know exercise is very very good for them but you're right people can go too much the other way and just to bring it back to to my own personal experience when I was younger um I used to train like five to six times a week and like yourself if Mm. I missed a workout I'd be like oh gonna have to double up next week or something ridiculous Mm. and um and what would happen though is if I did miss a day I tend to I tended to look better and I think it was just stressing my body out too much and those mm-hmm. like rampant stress hormones going around really did do affect like where you disp- where you partition your weight and how much water weight you have etc so people just backing off of the exercise especially if they're um, I'm gonna do quote unquote addicted or doing too much and um, can really have a massive benefit I completely agree with you 100%. And then you add something like anabolic steroids in, okay, in there, mm. and people taking that, where they then feel they're on this mission because they're on this short cycle or however long they're on the cycle for, and they've got to get as many workouts and as many chicken breasts in. But it just starts, but you start falling over your own feet then. And then you just think, like, you end up eating loads of rubbish and because you, you burn fat quicker or um, they just go. So it's, I think you know, you've just got to have your health in mind of what you're doing. And in order to get 
your health in your mind, you've got to start loving yourself to be able to want to be healthy, right? And that's my personal journey with, with food is I was slightly on that spectrum and I've started to now really love and nourish myself and think, right, this is where I, 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 I don't care about my protein allowance anymore. Yeah, I'll try and hit it roughly, but I'm not going to weigh chicken breast. It's unhealthy, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm 100% with you. And maybe we can dive into your personal journey with regards to loving yourself a little bit more, if you don't mind. Yeah, it's, I've got quite a... Um, I actually put my story out on YouTube the other day. So... Um, I'll link to that in the show notes for listeners. Yeah, it's quite a... I decided to do it because just to show that everyone kind of struggles on their on their journey. And just because you're a nutritionist doesn't seem doesn't mean that you've got like no zero problem in actual fact i've seen many nutritionists with you know who really do try and have a lot of issues with food and mine was always you know i was school i was fat gay and ginger and i say in the book what a combo that was in the uh, you know 80s 90s you know and neither of those were accepted and so i was just really struggling through my early adult life and i then was when my mother became a weight watchers leader like her, she used to do the classes. So I used to watch her and I used to model the counting calories or points or whatever it was back then. And I just started to become having develop a really unhealthy relationship with food. And I then got to a point in my early 20s where I discovered the gay scene and thinking in order to fit into this gay scene, I had to, um, you know, go down this gym, pro- gym program, eating, you know, six times a day, just to fit in on Saturday night when I go out. And it was, it was a, you know, it, that was a demon I had for a, a long, long time. And only recently I've gone like, actually, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to just be a bit healthier because, you know, yeah, I, I, I've taken steroids myself, you know? This is why I know about the um, pitfalls of them mm-hmm. because they're only temporarily, temporary gains and during anabolic steroids, you know, you get into this fake um, reality of, yeah, you might look good in your body, but in actual fact, when you're doing steroids, you never actually think you're good enough. You never actually think, you know, but you become extremely apathetic. You get moody, but you will never say it's about the steroids causing your, causing your mood or anger. Um, you eat loads of rubbish. You can't sleep. And then you like you end up either taking other things to help you sleep and wind you down. And, and like to me, I was like, what's the point? I was like, my sleep is more important than gaining three kilos. Mm-hmm. And then I just, you know, and you know, I think there are people that argue that you know you can do testosterone replacement therapy in healthier ways. And I'm not here to argue about that. I'm talking about you know the unhealthy sides of doing um, anabolic steroids, and which I encountered and. It just, I was doing them because I didn't love myself. And I didn't think that people would accept me if I had, you know, I wasn't 100 kilos. When you say people, what are you referring to? Who are you referring to there? Probably um, the unhealthy relationships that I'm formed, whether it's friends or, you know, we call it, whether it's like the, the people I used to hang around with to go to these parties where they're all on steroids or um i didn't think i could find a partner and in fact i had a partner who was also on steroids and it was the most disastrous relationship i've ever had in my life because we were as a you know, imagine that the picture we both sat with our backs up against each other like you know arguing and i just didn't you know we just both neither of us felt good enough uh but yeah i had a lot of therapy and I've worked with myself um and then of course recently I've you know I found psychedelics and I'm obviously not going to go back into them too much but I've been on uh mushroom retreats and uh, ayahuasca retreats which completely I, I I look at it like a rebirthing well my trauma and it just taught me the kind of I feel it taught me the meaning of life a little bit forgive yourself forgive others um, and also get over yourself a little bit. And then that really integrated self-love to me. 
and I just realized that yeah I just need to get over myself really and just <laughs> you know <laughs> but first off going back to to what you said I'm, I'm really sorry that you had to face that kind of challenge but I'm so glad that you seem to have learned so much from it as well do you feel like that instigated a lot of the things that you've learned with regards to self-love um yes I think I had to go through for me my journey I had to go through that and in order and I'm not saying people have to go through that to be able to learn this and I think what I've now caught from it is the tools to be able to teach others it and whether it's helping them to talk about forgiveness self-love imposter syndrome or, or even diet and nutrition um I think that's I don't I think you know the Japanese have this concept called kintsugi and it's a it just basically it basically means when their pottery breaks they rebuild it with gold and so I wouldn't be my father's yeah it's it's, it's cool It's, it's a cool term to think about like um I would be I'm sure if I didn't have any trauma in life I would be a narcissist you know and I I think it's taught me to just go to kind of un- understand and empathize with people a bit. And it, mm. what's really nice is that when you actually become a bit more vulnerable with your clients, with your people, people online or whatever it is, you get so many people going, I'm in this situation too. I'm, I feel this. You, you really connect with people a bit better because ultimately, you know, you can go and do whatever you, whatever diet you want or whatever partying, steroids, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, fine but I care for you and I just want you to be a bit healthier in what you're doing you know I'm not judging you this is why I've written the book and you know I love the fact that people can now pick up this book and just you know even if they're not out of the closet and just read it and think well actually I can apply you know whatever it is to them to themselves so I think it's it's just that's a big self-love process and I'm on that I'm still on it every day I think you have to self-soothe every single day in order to self-love okay i disagree with self-soothe but i'm going to tell you why in a second because i want to go back to the um um i disagree with an aspect of self-soothe actually let's dive into it now so self self self-soothing i think in a way is binge eating right could be argue arguably you are soothing something that you feel um, but not actually getting to the the root cause of that issue and addressing it. Do you know what I mean? So there's a lot of things which might be temporarily well, soothing would, but not fixing. Yeah, I would argue that self um, binge eating isn't necessarily a practice that's soothing um, because it's more harm harming, and you know it's not good for you. But I more of the case of like in loving yourself, you know, for example. How do you respond to criticism? How do you respond when someone doesn't accept you? And I think you still have those innate, deep, deep tra- trauma scars, or you know where you might have been rejected or whatever it's before. And you then have to think, well, how do I feel about this? Why is that? Maybe rationalize that person's behavior or whatever it is. I'm not saying that's a good way to do it, but this is how I do it. And I think, well, they're obviously acting that way because I'm, I, I, they're, they're going through their own process. Or, and so, or if I'm, like, for example, I'll give you the, my feelings on my book release day. I was anxious. Yeah. Okay, I was super anxious. My, a piece of me is out in the world now. I'm opening myself to all this criticism. And I just think, wow, okay. I could have just sat in quietly and just carried on doing what I was doing on my day-to-day job, but I've done this now. It's out. I can't do anything about it. And yeah, I have to self soothe thinking it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea. Fine, accept that. What's my intention of the book to help people? You know, and this is the you know, I, I just check myself and check my decisions a bit more, and, and rather than blindly go into something like when before I was taking steroids, thinking it was a great idea. You know, that's that's my um, my reasoning for it. But yeah, I think in the process of this there are hurdles they are going to be you know you might go on the path of self-love and then all of a sudden you're you know feel like you're back to square one because you let's say relapse on whatever it is but this is all learning you know yeah it's not yeah no I I, I completely agree with what you said and I, I guess the 
my issue with, with the, with the self-soothing element, I think is the, in terms of the, a, a difference in the way we perceive that terminology, but I agree with how you're using it. Yeah, I, I do think that. And also if you want to eat a whole cake, so what, you know, now and then <laughs> yeah. you, get, you go and do it yeah. and just, you know, own it. Like you've eaten a whole cake. Great. Now that's how I will, I, I want to see people to kind of see things now is like, when you there's a difference between eating a cake to numb numb your feelings and eating a cake to just be like i really wanted it you know yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah you know yeah that that's so true that's so true as well yeah. if, if you're doing it with like you know this is good for my soul i know exactly what i'm doing i'm not doing it because i feel i need it i'm doing it because i want it that kind of thing yeah. um yeah i completely agree with you to, there it's better to eat a burger happy than a salad sad <laughs> yes yeah. yeah well even like you know when you're eating in this stressed uh, state the things that does to mm. your body how you partition nutrients hormones etc your gut and your digestion is impaired like there's loads yeah. of reasons why you should be calm and you know this is why i'm also like i'm not sure if these meal prepping food or takeaway services are that great for us because part of your winding down to actually assimilate the food is making it and preparing it. And if you've got time, I know it's hard. I mean, this life we live now is, you know, you might have three kids and, you know, no time to prepare anything for yourself, but that's maybe something you have to work on. So. Yeah, I agree with you. I can be quite bad at times, but I've got a couple of go-tos stir fries are like, easiest thing in the mm. world and it's something that i'll commonly do at lunch if i'm working from home load of vegetables nice healthy oil and then some lean protein um it's like my, my go-to my go-to quick quick meal i can get that made in about 10 minutes so <laughs> exactly if you can spend 10 minutes you spend 10 minutes ordering something you can spend 10 minutes cooking something yeah 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 you know, and it's just my saving grace has been a, a veg box being delivered every week you know, that's just, I know that it's there and it's, it's just it's such a nice thing to have that, you know, cause then you feel guilty if you're not using it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do. I, I was going to ask you, you, you know, we've been talking about self-love and I meant to address this at the start. I always think self-love is an interesting word, almost like what I would consider woo-woo. I'm going to use that term, right? Not in an offensive yeah. way, but in a sense, like it's not a concept that we use in scientific literature but it's really building someone's self-confidence up and improving their mental mm. health so they feel confident with their own skin right that's essentially mm. to me that's what it is and therefore that plays yep. into everything that you do in life from the choices that you have from how you feel when you're speaking to someone in social situations to the, to the choices that mm -hmm. you pick in the supermarket etc how would you respond to that what do you think I completely agree with you. I think it has a knock-on effect. And I think the problem is we've had, we're so used to these like Instagram posts and books going, go love yourself. And it's like, oh, you just want to tell someone to like, you know, I just, I just hate it, these books that like, just say like, well, go and meditate for yourself under, under, that'll help you love yourself. Like, but if you're so far removed from self-love, the last thing you want to do is like, is go and follow some of these like, journaling practices or whatever it is i get they work for some but you know it takes a lot of meditation to be able to start feeling self-love mm -hmm. and so i just would say that you know my biggest tip is just find, find find the easiest thing you can do you know to start whether it's having you know something simple like could, it, could you have a bath instead of watch tv at night could you throw away some old clothes that you don't like or you know, perhaps you can say no to going out for dinner that you don't want to go to and you can, you know, and, and just start getting, or even start doing exercise that you actually enjoy rather than feel you have to do mm -hmm. or cook yourself something nice. It's just these simple things. They all start to build self-love. And it's, it's, again, it's not a process overnight. And I think, you know, I'm very lucky. Like, well, my self-love journey has taken me probably when I really started working on it, 2015. And I was only half conscious of it, even a year ago. Right. So it was, it, it's a huge, like, it's a lot of work. And this is why I say you have to work on it every single day because there will, there will always be easy slips back into your old, you know, your brain has created that neural network 
which is so easy to fall down into rather than create a new one and change your practice of where you think. So, um, was this like a paradigm that's... shift for you, like a, a realization where you're like, I need to change the what I'm doing in life, or did it happen gradually? Um, yes and no. Um, and actually, I faced a fair few obstacles along the way, and people haven't liked it. Some some people who maybe they're not on their own uh, pattern of self love themselves, or am I? Oh, it's triggering them because I don't want to be out in certain situations anymore. I don't want to engage in practices that are unhealthy for me. I just want to relax. I, I, I want to live in a relaxed life state. And um, so I think it's quite. Um, when you go through this process, it can be quite intimidating for others. Uh, so you've got to think about that. But it, well, it was, it's, it's, it's a, it's hard. It's one of the hardest things I've done. But it has completely changed how I want to now, how I view the world and how I want to help. Because I don't think any dieter can do, can anyone, no one can stick to a diet if they're not going to go down this self-love route especially if you've got a lot of history of weight issues or trauma uh you've got to address you know and this is the functional medicine pillar like the spirituality of it is never really totally considered and that impacts everything from energy gut health weight loss hair skin nails whatever you tell me you know there's not hormones so and you know, I think it's quite, there's, a, there's obviously the university of life, you have to go on to start learning this. And part of that is not caring what others think. And that's quite a big hurdle to get over. And once you get that, you start to then gain, you know, more confidence around yourself and your life choices. So this, this whole self-love angle I'm talking about, it allows you to really see what you want to do in life mm. and what's important for you. Um, because everything else just seems noise then. Yeah, I get that. I mean, a lot of what you said, you know, I can, I can look back at my own experience and think like, I, you mentioned imposter syndrome before, and, and different elements. And I just think I had all of that, you know, one of my friends said, this is a few years ago now, just back yourself. <laughs> like It was a very mm. like, just off the cuff, it was like, you know, just back yourself, like whatever you're doing, like have self-confidence, yeah. like you are, you need to, to back yourself. And that's all he said. And it really stuck in my head. Like every time I'm questioning what I'm doing, just being like, no, it's fine. Do you know, I can shut that kind of little monkey, yeah. monkey mind, I call it in the back of my, back of my. The path to success is not, like an e a straight road it's very b bumpy along the way with most of it you questioning yourself yeah. and it can be like you know a hundred people can say what you're doing is amazing and that one person tells you what you're doing is self-centered or whatever it is and some cr critics and it completely sets you back and so these are it's, it's a really a hard process to grasp that's why i would um and you've just got to even the times when you don't believe yourself act like you believe yourself you know it's it, it's and the rest will come yeah and particularly for nutritionists i think because we're always we, we enter an industry especially nutritional therapists mm -hmm. with imposter syndrome because we've always been told we're not good enough we're not good enough you're not good enough to do this job because of regulation or whatever, whatever people's beliefs or uh, who cares now you know there's 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 room for everyone to exist in this you know field um, you know, and I, I, I love now is like, you know, I actually have this saying that is dietitians will tell you what to eat. Nutritional therapists will tell you how to love yourself, <laughs> you know, and there's nothing wrong in, there's no wrong in eating. I'm not being wrong by saying that. And there's amazing nutritionists, there's amazing dietitians out there, but that's my journey, my personal journey with it. Yeah. That's interesting. That's interesting. I think there'll be some dietitians which disagree with you with that one, but <laughs> Yeah, yeah. As I said, there's some great dietitians out there, but I just thought, you know, I think it's um, there's not. I'm not wrong in saying dietitians tell you what to eat. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I guess so, but I guess nutritional therapists also do the same in some instances, right? Yeah, of course they do. That's why I'm just being a bit. <laughs> I'm just I playing like to devil's, devil's advocate. Yeah, and I'm playing. No, I'm just throwing a spark in it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cause some drama. <laughs> Good. No, well, I love dietitians and nutritional therapists and nutritionists. I don't have no. 
I, I just think we all can exist in the same space. I think it's, you know, yeah, everyone has a different them. operating system. You know, we just got to, it's like working with Windows and Apple, you know, they're taught one way, we're taught another. It both work, both work. Depends on the person coming to you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I'm going to use that. Windows and Apple. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's exactly it. You still can do stuff. Anyway, I digress. Yeah, no, no, it's absolutely fine. Uh, we're coming up on time. I've got a few questions for you before we end mm -hmm. the show. Um, one of them was actually based on, with, with regards to lifestyle, what would you change about the LGBTQ plus community as a whole in terms of how they look after themselves or view the world? I would make try to make them feel good enough more you know in because they are every single person in the lgbtq plus uh community has faced rejection at one point in their life and i want to say to them that it's it's the war's over let's try and you know do this and and uh make and you are good enough love that love that <laughs> ask three questions to everyone that comes on the show the first mm -hmm. one is what is the most impactful health change that you have made in your life and why um my most impactful i would say is probably not to be perfect try not to be perfect would you consider that a health change yes i think because it I think I've always tried to go, I'm on the diet on one day, I'm going to stay on it until Friday and then it all goes out the window and then I can't get back on it on Monday. Yeah. And now I'm just like, look, if I want some chocolate, it's okay. It's part of my program. It's, you know, it's just to enjoy it a bit or, you know, choose a healthier option naturally. So, and I, I think that's my main, main advice I could give here. Brilliant. And how do you think healthcare interventions or healthcare in general can become more integrated with more LGBTQ plus focused interventions? Well, I think it, my book is a good uh, option for medics and also other nutritionists and dietitians inside or even other um, uh, allied professionals, not necessarily nutritionists, to be able to understand what goes on in our community and just to uh, I think there's conversations around now about LGBTQ plus health, but I don't want them to look at it in like a one dimension. You know, this means this, like tri how trials are done. Uh, I want to be able to, you know, open someone's eyes and understand, the, like, to understand someone's health in the LGBTQ plus community isn't one dimensional. And you, there might be. There's not many factors you have to consider, and there's many different types of people in this sector, uh, in this community. So there's not just the typical gay man that might go out partying at the weekend and taking steroids. There's, there's, you know, there's needs for everyone. And as I say in my book, some things will be relevant for you, some things will not be. But please don't judge me for writing about it, but also educate yourself on what does go on in this community. Brilliant. And I've got one last question for you. But before I ask mm -hmm. it, can you please tell the listeners where they can find you and what exciting projects you have coming up? Uh, so my website is thenakednutritionist.co.uk. My Instagram is at Naked Nutrition. And my book is available in all bookshops or Amazon. Most people buy it from Amazon, but I know I shouldn't be promoting that. It's <laughs> called Naked Nutrition, the LGBTQ plus guide to diet and lifestyle. Um, or an LGBTQ plus guide. Um, and that's, yeah, that's why you can find me on that. So Perfect. I'll link to everything that we've spoken about, including your book in the show notes. Um, last question. Can you please provide the listeners with three quick tips to help improve their health and well-being from today? First tip I would say not to beast yourself, whether that's with exercise or diet, you know, a, a moderate pace, you know, you can exercise and eat obsessively. So we talked about all this through. Um, I would say uh, find out, find an eating pattern that works for you. Don't be pulled into having to, you know, do intermittent fasting or low carb if that's what you, you're being told to do. 
you know, any diet works if you stick to it. Let's put it that way. Or most diets work if you stick to them. So it's just finding a pattern of eating and, and what works for you. And, you know, I would say to start identifying areas of your life so that are against the grain of self-love. And that could be what practices you do to yourself, what company you keep, uh, your career, just to have a start to have an overall evaluation of this. And, and maybe if you, things are hard for you, reach out to talk to someone. I think that's important. I love them. Great tips. Thank you so much, Daniel. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Um, I hope thank you, you for to... having me. No, you are more yeah, thank than welcome. You. And I do hope that we can do this again soon. Perfect. Look forward to hearing it. Thank you for listening to the Functional Health Podcast. You can find links to everything that we talked about today in the show notes. If you have a second, please consider leaving a five-star rating on iTunes. It really does make a huge difference and helps get this valuable information out and reach more people. Don't forget to subscribe so you can stay up to date and know whenever I release a new episode. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or our website, and all questions are welcome. As always, thanks to Joss Aurelia for all the editing, and thank you all for your support.